0: To live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you say that this morning? Paul said it, chained to a Roman guard, waiting for a trial that would end either in his release or his execution. In spite of Paul's innocence, there was a real possibility that this trial could end in his execution because the gospel of Jesus Christ says that Jesus is king and he's on trial before Romans that don't take it lightly if you say someone other than Caesar is king. So the danger that Paul is in is real even though he is innocent. And he says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I think if we were honest, myself included, some of us would struggle to say that. I might say, and I don't think I would be the only one, for me to live is to work so I can pay off my debts. And to die is is to miss out on years with my wife and kids. Or, some might say for me to live is peaceful retirement. And to die is just plain frightening. I believe these verses from Philippians that we're about to look to are God's word to us about how to live and die. And I believe that they hold the key to rejoicing. My prayer for myself and for the church is that we would learn to rejoice in submitting to Christ and serving others. That we would learn to rejoice in submitting to Christ and in serving others. In a moment, we're going to turn to the Scriptures and see exactly what Paul meant by that phrase. But before we do, I want each of you to ask yourself, What prevents me from living for Christ? And I want to suggest several possibilities because it's different for each of us. And so maybe I won't even mention the thing that hinders you. But I want to throw out some possibilities. I think it boils down for each of us to the reality that we don't live like Jesus is our king. And we don't surrender everything to his rule. So we can't rejoice the way Paul did because we don't realize that Jesus Christ is completely in control and he's completely good and we don't realize the incredible wealth that we have in Christ that makes everything else cheap by comparison. I want to challenge you today that whatever it is that keeps you from living for Christ you need to surrender it to him for some of that for some of us that means that we need to surrender to God our concerns about health recognizing that you can bring glory to God in sickness charles spurgeon who was not a healthy man he suffered terribly from gout which is an incredibly painful ailment. Uh, he said it felt like he had been bitten by a cobra and venom had, ever, had gone into every joint of his body. He also suffered from a form of kidney disease that's similar to lupus, and he suffered from depression. So as much as we venerate him as an incredible preacher, some people even say the prince of preachers, he was a man who suffered great physical ailments. And he said this, He said, health is set before us as if it were the great thing to be desired above all other things. Is it so? He said, I would venture to say that the greatest blessing that God can give any of us is health. With the exception of sickness. Sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints of God than health has. If some men that I know of could only be favored with a month of rheumatism, it would, by God's grace, mellow them marvelously. Surrendering your health to God means that you will serve Him in sickness and in health. That you will glorify God with patient hope and praise even when your bones ache. I ran into Pastor Lutzer at the conference that I was at last week. He was my pastor at Moody Church. He is elderly. And I asked him. I was, so, I was delighted to see him because I didn't realize I was going to. And I was just honestly on my way to the bathroom. And I <laughs> ran into him in the middle of over 8,000 people. And so I said, how are you? I, and I was just so excited to see him. And as an older guy who has health issues... He said, well, you know, I have limitations. And then he said to me, "But well, you know the good thing about old age? No. He said, it doesn't last long. <laughs> That's a man who is okay living or dying for Christ. I thank God for him. You may need to surrender your health to Jesus. For some of us, we need to think about our finances. Our finances may prevent us from living for the Lord. You or I may not get the house that we want. Maybe you should sell the house that you have. Jesus made it clear that you cannot serve both God and money. And so have you ever asked yourself which master you're serving? If your debt controls how you are living, if you have to say no to ministry opportunities because of your bills, if you are spending all of your money to pay off purchases you could not afford, or if you are refusing to make lifestyle changes so you have more freedom, you are not serving Christ, you are serving money. And it's possible to do this Even if you have an incredible amount of money, if you spend the bulk of your money on things that have no eternal value, you are serving money in a different way. And I would encourage you that you need to recognize that God owns everything and you will give an account to Him for how you've managed the things that He has entrusted to you. You may need to surrender your finances to God to begin living for Christ. Or maybe your spouse or even an ex-spouse seems to prevent you from living for Christ. You may be in a relationship that causes incredible pain. And you may need to follow Peter's instructions about dealing with an unbelieving spouse seeking to win them to the Lord through your meekness. As you experience relationships It doesn't even have to be a spouse, but those are some of the deepest hurts that we feel. But if you experience a relationship that causes you endless frustration and pain, the way you react in that difficulty demonstrates the degree of your faith in Jesus Christ. If you can have patience and demonstrate that your hope is in Christ, in the midst of that, your witness will be powerful. And it will not matter... Whether or not the relationship itself is healed because to live is to Christ and to die is gain. So either way, you have the opportunity to submit to Christ and to live for him. So maybe it's a relationship. Maybe this hit home for me. Maybe it's success at work. All of us, especially as as Americans, as part of our culture, we love to take pride in success. Which is why failures cause us deep distress. And it doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a mechanic or a pastor, we all have ways of measuring our success at work. I have to fight the urge to run and look at attendance on a weekly basis and measure my success based on our attendance. I have to fight the urge to avoid looking at our weekly giving and measure my success. Based on our weekly giving. The reality is. We could have an empty church and no money. And be faithful before Christ. And so for me to live. Is to submit the success or failure. Of my, my involvement as a pastor to Christ. Paul says in Corinthians. He says God is the one who gives fruit. You cannot measure ministry success. Based on visible numbers. There's a real possibility that I could stand before the Lord someday and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, even if no one here would measure what I've done as being well done. That's me personally. That's where this passage hits me. If you're a teacher. If you're a mechanic. You all have different ways of measuring your success. But the reality is, your professional life doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. Are you faithful to Him in success and in failure? I've suggested a couple of different areas here. Let me suggest one more. Some of you may be distressed because of where your kids are whether or not they're walking with the Lord, where they are in their marriages, their finances. Your kids may hinder your walk with Christ. It's culturally common to say, oh, my kids are my life. And we say that like it's acceptable and good because it seems like there's a certain level of self-sacrifice. Oh, I live for my kids. And we applaud that because it's a it's a good thing in, in our cultural context. But I want to suggest to you that it is not a good thing in a Christian context. In reality, if your kids dominate your life rather than Christ, you will be miserable. You will constantly worry about them. You will probably mess them up and joy in Christ will be sacrificed on the altar of your children. Even your own children cannot come before your relationship with Christ. Jesus Himself said it in Luke 14.26. He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. The reality is, if you say, I live for my kids, you are elevating your kids to a level of idolatry and placing Christ underneath them. Jesus doesn't want you to be a bad parent. Jesus wants you to have your right priorities. So, now that I have hopefully whacked half a dozen hornet's nests with a stick, Let's fly to Philippians and figure out how we're actually supposed to live. Let's read the text together. You can find it in Philippians chapter 1. The blue pew Bibles, it's page 980. We have some large print pew Bibles as well. They're they're a burgundy color, or red. Uh, In the large print Bibles, the page number is 1164. Let's read the text together so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I've entitled this message, Celebrating in Life and Death. Because the paragraph that we're looking at today gives the reason for Paul's rejoicing. He says right at the beginning, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice for... And everything he else he says is the reason for his rejoicing. Namely, he lives in such a way that no matter what happens to him, Jesus Christ looks good. Paul lives, Jesus Christ looks good. Paul dies, Jesus Christ looks good. How? Because the decisions he makes in life... Show that he worships Jesus. And the joy that he has as he looks the executioner in the eye. The guy who is going to take a sword and chop his head off. The joy that he has in facing death. Makes Christ look good. All Paul cares about is making Jesus look good. And let me be clear. You make Jesus look good by trusting him for your life and salvation for all things in every way. So let's look and see how Paul did this in three steps. First, we will see Paul's confidence in deliverance. Then we will see that he believes he's delivered if he's set free from his chains or if he's set free from his body in life or in death. He is delivered. And then lastly, we will see Paul longing for death, but serving in life. Let's look again at the second half of verse 18 through verse 20, and we'll see his confidence in deliverance. His confidence in deliverance, verse 18 through 20. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at, not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Notice, just in passing, one reason he's confident is in part because of the prayers of the church. Not only does Paul pray for the Philippians, but he believes That they pray for him and that God will answer their prayers as well. And he expects their prayers to have tangible results. He has an incredible faith. And in a a way that seems bizarre, the deliverance that he is so confident in is not released from prison, although that may be one way it works itself out, His expectation and hope, the answer to their prayers, he says, are two things. That he will not be ashamed and that he will have courage so Christ is honored in his body. Both of those are emotional responses that come from a rich faith in the Lord. Shame What he's afraid of is a negative emotion that I believe a lot of Christians live with. And I think our shame comes from not fully realizing the work of Christ in our lives, that we're totally forgiven. But that, I don't think, is actually what Paul is talking about here. Paul's concern is that he would be a coward and that as a result, people would doubt that Jesus is a worthy Savior. But he is confident that he will be delivered from that cowardice and positively given supernatural courage in answer to their prayers and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So notice this. The prayers of the church were not just God release Paul from his chains. They were more focused on God, please help Paul. Live out his faith, whatever you choose to do with him. And I think if you and I heard one of our missionaries were thrown in jail, we would pray for their release. And we should. I am not saying that we shouldn't. But my fear is that we would neglect to pray that they would have a strong witness in prison, trusting That if God wanted to use them in prison, he would leave them there. Paul's attitude is, I will trust that God will do whatever it takes for the most amount of good for the kingdom of God. And if you think of the passage that we read earlier today, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, people are waving palm branches, they are celebrating him as a king. At the end of that passage, which I included, normally we stop at the celebration where he enters Jerusalem, but at the end of that passage, Jesus says, I am in agony because he knows the cross is coming. He understands that his kingdom is more than just conquering the Romans. He is going to conquer sin and death on the cross for us, and he knows what's coming. And Jesus is the example that Paul is following Saying, I know that you will glorify yourself in me. And that is what I care about. He is our example as he was Paul's example. And I want to suggest to each of you today that as you think through the things I mentioned at the beginning, whether it's bankruptcy, unemployment, divorce, all of the things that drive us to our knees, we should not just pray for deliverance from those things, but that we would have faithfulness, courage, and confidence in each of them. I'm not saying that bankruptcy or divorce are good any more than it was good for Paul, who is an innocent man, to be executed. What I'm saying is your faith in Jesus can be a witness the same way Paul's faith was. And we are called to be faithful in Christ, even in the middle of divorce or bankruptcy or cancer. When someone is facing hardship, we should pray that God would be honored in that person's life, even as we pray for their deliverance. As we pray for each other, let's pray that we, like Paul, would act in a way so that we will not be ashamed because we've made Jesus look bad, but positively, we would have courage that makes him look good. Because Paul made it clear that ultimately his life or his death did not matter. Both looked good to him because he could serve Christ in life or he could be with Christ in death. Look at verses 21 through 24 with me again. Verses 21 through 24. He says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. These verses make it clear that the deliverance he's talking about, he has such confidence in that deliverance that is the root of his joy. Really has nothing to do with whether he's executed or set free. And it's surprising that he says it like this. He says to live is Christ. You would think that to die is Christ because that's when you go to be with him. In fact, that's why he says dying is gain, because he's going to be with Christ. But understand that his living is in Christ. That's why he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why he says to live is Christ. He is living by faith in the Son of God that not only has ushered him into the family of God, it also has completely changed his life. And so life itself is defined by Christ as the King. Whatever is good for the Lord and advances the kingdom sounds great to Paul. Paul says to live as Christ. Because He has crucified His own passions and desires. And in their place, He lives by faith in the Son of God. And that is not something that should cause us sorrow. The reality is, it causes us incredible joy. As we understand that there are richer and deeper things than anything we could ever want in the flesh. That we should be the most joyful, enthusiastic, happy people. Not sorrowful. Because we've crucified our desires. But joyful. Because we have something infinitely better. Everything is better. Because Christ is raised from the dead. And service to Christ is advancing his kingdom. And we cannot wait for our king to return. To live for Paul. Meant that he would bear fruit in service to the king. And I want to ask, can you say that is your life bearing fruit in service to the Lord? For Paul, the advantage of staying in the body was he could serve Jesus Christ by witnessing to unbelievers and by serving believers in the church with his gifts. That's not unique to being an apostle. That's something that every believer is called to. He talks over and over again about how the church is the body of Christ. Everyone here has a gift to serve the Lord with. And we do it in unity. Can you say that your life is serving believers and non-believers as the body of Christ? Jesus said, not just to apostles, but to every believer, abide in me and you will produce much fruit. But Paul knows that if he dies, he would be with Jesus Christ face to face. And he longed to be with Jesus. And I have to be honest, there have been times in my life where I haven't exactly longed to be with Jesus. And the biggest reason is I didn't know him that well. If you know him, you will want to be with him. If you don't long to be with Jesus, it's a sign that you don't know him well yet. And I've got good news for you. That's not a bad thing. That means that there is a wealth of intimacy that you can have. And it should be a joyful pursuit that will give you confidence as you eventually one day will face death. The more you know the Lord, the more you will want to be with Him. And the reason that Paul had joy either in life or in death is that he recognized that Jesus is good. Jesus is good in life. Jesus is good in death. So, when he considered himself paul said he honestly would rather go be with christ which would meant that the deliverance that he was so confident of would come in the form of a roman sword that's a funny answer to prayer but paul is telling them that that is actually his preference that deliverance that he's so confident that would come would be courage to die Well, but when he thinks of the church, he actually says he believes that his deliverance instead will come in being set free from prison. He puts their needs above his own, which I will remind you is exactly what Jesus did, as Paul is going to say later on in chapter 2 of this book. And so he says that though he longs for death, he is committed to serving in life. He longs for death, but he serves in life. So let's look at verses 25 and 26 together. Paul says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul is so willing to serve them that he believes that this is how their prayers will be answered. Although I should point out verse 27, which we'll look at next week, he says, whether I come to see you or am absent. So even though he's pretty confident this is how God is going to answer the prayer, he leaves it up to God. So this is God's decision. But he's confident that the priority in his life is service to the church, so he believes that he will come see them. He believes that the church would glory in Jesus Christ, I believe, because they would see their prayers answered when Paul comes back to them. That's what he says in verse 26. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The implication is they would see Jesus as powerful as their prayers were answered when they saw Paul. Have you ever had a prayer request that made you glory in Jesus Christ? I'll tell you one that I was on the fence as to whether or not to include this, but I feel like I have to include it. Just about two weeks ago, maybe it was three weeks ago when we got the prayer request, I have friends who are going to serve the other side of the world. It's a closed country that doesn't welcome missionaries. These are not the friends that I've mentioned to you in the past. These are different friends. They got a visa that would let them enter the country as students. And they were accepted to a school. But what they didn't know was that 100% of their tuition was due up front. So as they were excited that they were going to be able to get into the country... They were distressed to find out they owed $6,000 and they only had six weeks to raise it in. So as I heard this prayer request, I thought, well, we'll see if they're leaving the country or not. I, uh, I confess that I didn't have incredibly high faith because I know all the missionaries that I know struggle to have full support. So they've already asked all the people they can think of to support them faithfully. And $6,000 in the space of six weeks, above and beyond all the support that they'd already received, is a huge request. And while we were at the conference, I think it was Tuesday, we got an email that instead of taking six weeks, God answered that prayer request in two weeks, that they have all of the money that they need. And I thought, good night, I have incredibly weak faith. But I was excited that we prayed for that as a church and God has answered it. And Jesus Christ looks good because we asked him to provide and he did. Paul is saying, as you see me come and visit, you will have opportunity to glory in Jesus Christ. And I urge you to pray in such a way that you know whether or not your prayer requests have been answered. So that you can glory in the power of Jesus and His goodness. I believe all of this ties into the first phrase of this passage, I will rejoice. Confidence that life or death, marriage or divorce, wealth or bankruptcy, none of those things matter. What matters is your faith in the Lord through all of them. And so I urge you, Learn to rejoice by submitting to Christ and serving others. I mentioned health, money, marriage, kids, work. There are probably dozens of things that I didn't mention. And I would urge you to think through those areas of your life again. Are you ready to submit to the Lord in every area of your life? And like Paul, put your brothers and sisters in Christ before yourself? So often as Americans, I feel like we need to mention retirement in particular. So often we feel like once you reach a certain age, you're entitled to relax and not do anything. Paul was not looking for a relaxing retirement. For Paul, to live right up until the moment of death was Christ. It was service to the church. And I want to challenge you today. Maybe that's an area you need to ask the Lord, God, how can I serve you in retirement? Some of you, you need to ask the Lord, God, how can I serve you at work? Some people feel like because they work, they can't serve the Lord, that the two are in competition. That's not true. Paul would say, employed, unemployed, retired, still working. It doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. And I want to urge you this morning to be like Paul and to seek your joy in submission to Christ recognizing He is good and in control and service to others. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, Lord, so often as believers, we lack certainty. As we face the big decisions of life, we often respond with fear and anxiety, feeling like we'll make the wrong choice. But Lord, I ask that You would Bless us with the kind of faith and courage that Paul longed for. We pray that you would bless us with confidence that you are our Savior in life and in death, and I pray that you would give us the joy that he experienced. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.